How how we sounding? Good morning. If you didn't hear that last announcement, uh, if you're about this high or younger, smaller, you can go ahead and head off to Super Church, okay? And uh, third grade and under, uh, feel free to head off to Super Church. I'm going to hand these around. Good morning. I don't know you, but uh, good morning to you. Uh, I'm going to hand these around. Feel free to uh, sign in. Um, this is a record of your attendance at a class we're doing on Sunday morning called Deeper Life. We're on lesson number 11 of 12. We do two weeks for each lesson. This is week one of lesson 11, week two, of course, next week. And then we finish up the next two weeks after that. Um, Last week, we talked about your identity, your calling. And we went through some great things. We had some great handouts to give to you. Um, One was called Your Identity and Calling in God. The other one was Who Am am I in Christ Jesus? Uh, The Fellowship of the Unashamed. Do you remember some of those? And we did spiritual gift surveys. So we've had a really good time the last couple of weeks doing that. And then uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, we're going to do Living Life in the Spirit Supernaturally. And we're going to be talking about that for a couple of weeks. But uh, today, the, uh, the lesson that we're looking at is, um, is, is, is got the longest title of all the lessons that we have. And it's called The Death of Religion by Finances in a Culture of Grace and Honor. Okay? Death of Religion by Finances in a Culture of Grace and Honor. Now, before I start, I want to talk about my week a little bit because I got to see two amazing events this week. One of them was the memorial service for Reverend Billy Graham that was held in the rotunda of the United States Capitol. Did any of you see that? Any of you see it? Quite amazing, wasn't it? And then on Friday, I got to see the funeral of, of, of America's pastor, they call him Billy Graham, this great evangelist who shared the good news of Jesus with more people in person than any other human being in history, is what we're told. If that's not an amazing thing, I don't know what it is. Um, but, you know, I just was so struck by the, by the attributes that were given to this man. There were people that came from all over the world, and of course, heads of state um, sent their attributions. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because the last four presidents of this country, of those four presidents, two are Democrat and two are Republican. Not, not a whole lot in common in that regard. Uh, but one thing that they all have in common is all of them profess themselves publicly to be Christian. Did you know that? The last four presidents. Now, some people would say, well, that president couldn't be a Christian uh, because of such and such. You know, uh, Bill Clinton couldn't be Christian because of Monica. Uh, George Bush couldn't be Christian because of Iraq. Uh, uh, Barack Obama couldn't be Christian because of abortion. Or uh, the, the president that we currently have couldn't be Christian because he's just not very nice. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, I, and by the way, I don't know the man personally, but I, I don't know about you, but I, I was offended by a lot of things he said about the people he ran against, uh, women, men, you know, and, and, and I just thought, I can't believe that he's saying things like this. And, and yet, when he was at um, Billy Graham's memorial service and spoke, he talked about Billy Graham receiving Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The point that I want to make in that is that if you take a strong and loving enough stand for Jesus, no matter who talks about you, 
will have to somehow give praise to your Savior and to your Lord. Very seldom do I hear a president speak of Jesus in any way as being Savior and Lord. Usually when we hear people talk about Christianity, we hear people talk about the faith. We hear talk about, people talk about my personal faith. And yet I heard a president this week, and by the way, I had a great opportunity to do this because I was out sick again all week long. I spent most of my week a couple weeks ago in bed, and, a, and I had a relapse and spent most of this week in bed, uh, but it gave me opportunities to watch these, uh, these two amazing events. And I just thought to myself, here's a man who is, is given his testimony by a United States president at how at age 15 he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Now I want to speak today to pluralism just for a minute before we get into our teaching. Because there's a positive pluralism, but there's also a negative pluralism. The negative pluralism, I would just say it this way. People say there are many ways to God and every way is a good way. Now, that is a negative pluralism because it's just not true, okay? There are not many ways to God and not every way is the same and not every way is a good way. And, and so I would call that a negative pluralism and I want to speak to that negative pluralism. Why do we need Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? Because it's not politically correct to speak of Jesus in a pluralistic society. A society that's not everyone is a Christian and not all Christians are Christian. A society where um, there are many other faiths and all of that. How do we boldly proclaim in love that Jesus is the answer? How can we come off doing that? And I look at the legacy of Billy Graham, and I looked at his children one after the other at his funeral that came. And even when they talked about their own failings, they recognized that Billy Graham and his wife led them to the truth, and his name is Jesus, and it's changed their lives and changed their family. There's no way that you can argue with a testimony like that. And so I'm seeing that one after the other, and I'm thinking to myself about the legacy of Billy Graham standing boldly in the marketplace, in the public sphere, declaring that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And the reason why he can could do that, the reason why he should do that, is because no one but Jesus has ever showed us God like Jesus has. Can you say amen? No one like Jesus has ever fulfilled all the prophecies. No one like Jesus has ever died on the cross for our sins. No one but Jesus has ever risen from the dead, giving us the hope of eternal life. So we're not out here to pick a fight with anyone. We're just out here to declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you say amen? All right, so I have a decision to make. Are we good with this or should I just throw it off on the side and use another microphone? Tell me again. It's this right here? You got another one for me? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Goodbye, microphone. I liked you. <laughs> Pastor Vinny's back. Look at that. Amen. Father, we just want to start with prayer before we start to teach, recognizing that this world needs you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you were proclaimed in such an amazing way 
through the funeral of Billy Graham. Some people called it his last crusade. We thank you for the legacy that lives on those who are related to him and who are not related to him that will carry on, Father. Lord, we thank you, God, that even without Billy Graham, we're experiencing the greatest revival of Jesus that the world has ever known in 20 centuries. We thank you for the spread of your good news all over the world, Lord, throughout Asia, God, throughout Africa, Father, throughout all of the nations of the earth, Lord. We thank you that more people are beginning to hear the name of Jesus and understand the good news, but there's so many more in this country and the nations of the world who need to know salvation through Jesus, need to know God through Jesus, need to know relationship with God through Jesus. So we pray, Father, that you would use us, God, to proclaim your good news and do it in love, that we would both in word and in deed uh, show this world your love, Father, so that more and more people would recognize you as Abba, Father, and come to know you and be in relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, that you have started that relationship with us, and we thank you for any and every person that you bring to this place. Who is, who is searching, who is open to have a relationship with you. And so we pray for every one of us, God, to be in really beautiful relationship with you, Father, through Jesus, by your Holy Spirit abiding with us. Lord, we praise you, God, for your love. And we pray that the more that we know your love, the more we'd be able to make your love known to people around us. Father, we ask, Lord, that more and more people would flood, Lord, into our uh, houses of worship, God, where your name is proclaimed, God. And uh, Lord, we pray your blessing on every church, every ministry, God. Fill up every single one of them, God, with hungry hearts, Lord, and people finding you as the waters of life that are, that are eternal and abundant. And so, Lord, we praise you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. And we trust you, God, to pour out your grace upon us in Jesus' name. Again, can we say amen, church? Amen. amen. All right. You're ready to get into the teaching this morning? All right, here we go. Um, the death of religion by finances. And I, I want to ask this question to start off. Why the death of religion? And uh, let me just get my, let me get my own um, notes here. How do I, somebody come and help me, can you? Because this is a different, uh, somebody come and help me because this is a different um, view than I've had. Where's my, uh... hey, everyone say hi to Cairo. Is that, is that what you need? Yeah, I just need to advance this one if we could. How do I do that? What do you mean? Like go to the next um, awesome. notes. Oh, there we go. Yeah. All right, beautiful. Okay. All right, so there we are, deeper life, your identity and calling, living life in the spirit, death of religion by finances. So why the death of religion? And my answer to the question that I myself am asking is because religion kills. The reason why we're interested in the death of religion is because religion kills. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, the apostle Paul said, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The religion is, is, is another word for the letter or the law. It, it's what tells us that we're wrong. It, it's what kills our hope. It's what kills our dreams and, and our relationship with God and with each other. 
In Romans chapter 7, verse 10, Paul said, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Now, is there a good religion? I, I believe that there is a form of good religion. And the word of God tells us that in James chapter 1, verse 27, James 1, 27, it says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So there's a religion that is acceptable to Father God. That religion that says, I'm going to look after those who have been abused, women, children, orphans, uh, widows. Um, I'm going to also keep myself from being polluted by the nastiness of this world, by the corruption of this world, the bad attitudes, the bad words, etc. All of those things, that's a religion that, 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 that God accepts. But think about religion in this world in a general way. Who put Jesus to death? Think about that question. Who put Jesus to death? Wasn't it religious leaders? It was religious leaders. Now, by the way, I want to make an announcement because on Good Friday here at this church, mark your calendar for Good Friday. Make sure that you get off work if you're supposed to be working on Good Friday. Tell your boss that you have a religious reason. You got you to do this. Because on Good Friday, right here in this room, we're, we're actually having a funeral service. Literally, we're having a funeral with a casket for Jesus. It'll be like no other service, Good Friday service you've ever been to. And then at the very end of the service, we're going to welcome people to come back Sunday morning by a simple announcement. Now that we're done with the funeral service, please come join us for a resurrection celebration on Sunday morning. But before we get to resurrection on Sunday morning, we're going to get in touch with the crucifixion of Jesus by coming to Jesus' funeral here on Good Friday night. So we want to make sure that you know to do that. But while we're talking about his death and using that as an opportunity to make that announcement and an invitation to you all and to your friends and to your family members, we're talking about how it was religious people, leaders, religious leaders devout people, people who knew the scriptures, who were the ones who called out for Jesus' death. And then think about who opposed Jesus generally, even if they didn't call for his death. It was really a mixture of governmental leaders and religious leaders. But it was the religious leaders that handed Jesus over to the government leaders. And the reason why they wanted to do that is because Jesus taught with such authority and such truth and love that people began to question what these religious leaders were teaching. And these religious leaders couldn't have that. They didn't want anyone to question their teaching. They didn't want anyone to question their authority. And at the end of the day, the reason why they didn't want anyone to touch their authority is because they didn't want anyone to touch their paycheck. This is why I love checks and balances in government. This is why I love a three-branch form of government. I love that kind of 
de democratic principles that say to us that not everyone can say that they're right and not be challenged by somebody else. Not one branch of government, not one leader of government. I love that there are competing branches of government. This is another reason why I like the free market. I like that there's competition. I like that I know that it can be abused. Everything can be abused. Um, that's, that God himself can be abused. The Bible can be abused. But one, one aspect that I love so much is that when there is competition, when somebody calls out somebody else as being deceitful because they, they haven't told the truth about their branding, then at some point there's a level playing field, at least something that we could appeal to. But we recognize that in both government and in religion, and we're talking primarily in religion, that these kinds of, 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 of powers can be coercive, can be all about control. And we recognize that religion is often used to control people through conformity, through compliance, even through coercion. The reality is we're excited about the death of religion um, by finances in a culture of grace and honor because we see the negative side of religion and we recognize that for people to truly be in relationship with God and with each other, religion must die. The letter that kills must die. The law that was good that brought death to Paul must pass away. That's why Jesus brought in a new covenant and made the old covenant obsolete because it's relationship that God is after and not religion. So the question next is, we, we understand why uh, the death of religion, but why by finances? And my answer I would give to the question that I'm providing again there is this, is because nothing offends the religious spirit more than money. Have you ever felt it? Have you ever felt just agitated when pastors start talking about money? Churches start talking about money? Do you know what can be one of the most least pleasant interpersonal places on the planet? A church business meeting where they're talking about finances can be one of the most unpleasant human, experience, the human experiences that there are. The, the reality is, is that when we mix church and we, and we mix money, we just start to get irritated a little bit. And, and, and we, we recognize that the reason why is because there's a spirit behind that. The governmental and religious leaders are often motivated by the status quo uh, in order to make sure that they preserve that paycheck. They're for peace, for sure. They're for prosperity, for sure. But it's not for the peace of the people, the prosperity of the people. It's more for the peace of themselves, the prosperity of themselves. You know, it was an interesting thing in my religious experience where as a pastor, a new believer, uh, just about two years old in the Lord, that had volunteered to help with the finances, was freaked out after one Sunday service because they didn't know the inner political workings of a certain church. And they were serving communion to certain individuals, not knowing who was who, what position they had, whether they were paid or unpaid. And they were very shocked and even in tears by the end of that service because they said as they were serving communion, one dear old minister of God looked that person right in the eye whilst that person was serving communion to them and said, 
where's my check? Where's my check? There's a lot of negative examples when it comes to money in church. Did you know that that's not just a new thing? Did you know that back in the Middle Ages, they had these things called indulgences? How many of you guys know what the whole thing about indulgences were? Right? I think a lot of you did. And, and, and do you know that there were actually popes that gave edicts that said that you can be certain that you're going to heaven if you give enough money to a, a certain crusade to take back Jerusalem from the Muslims um, for Christianity. And, it, and, it was, and we're dealing with history in the raw, as it really is. And we recognize that there were actually not just church leaders, but the church leader who was guaranteeing people they were going to heaven if they gave enough money for a crusade. Can you imagine kind of misusing money like that? Uh, actually making people certain of them going to heaven because they're giving more than somebody else is giving. How many of you know that Jesus talked a lot about money, but he never talked that way about money? Jesus was very open and honest about money. Jesus never suffered from a religious spirit. He talked about it very, very plainly. But he never manipulated people. He never coerced people. He never got uh, to a place where he made promises based on money, all of those things. He just never did it. And yet we've got a modern form of indulgences right now in television preachers. And we've all heard them. They get up there and say, I mean, there was one television preacher that says, if you don't send me enough money, God's going to kill me. And I remember hearing it and saying, God, the only reason why I don't want you to kill that person right now and prove that you don't really say it is because you love that person and you have mercy on us all. And God didn't kill that person and they didn't get enough, they didn't get enough money, but God and that person eventually had to repent of that kind of attitude. But we, we, we talk about some of the most wealthy uh, religious leaders in the world and sometimes we find out that they have this home and that home and that home so extravagant. And we get turned off by those things. We get turned off even when we think about the church always talking about money. Even somebody says, all the church wants is your money. And, and that's really an evidence of a religious spirit. That's a spirit of control. That's saying that we're not going to try and figure this thing out together, a relationship with God and with each other. We're going to come up with a bunch of rules about what religion should be and what religion shouldn't be. And it's not just the people that are there in the pulpit who are making the rules or the board members that are making the rules. The people in the pews are making the rules themselves. Did you know that? There are some people in the pews who are determined that they're going to make their pastor rich. Did you know that? There are people in the pews that are going to make their pastor rich. And why are they doing it? They're doing it, many of them, for religious spirit. Because that pastor might be preaching a prosperity gospel that says that if you give, God's going to make you rich. And so they want to say, look, if we make this pastor rich, then that pastor will help make us rich. That's a religious spirit. But there's other people that want to keep the pastor poor. Did you know that? They want to say, I want to make the pastor poor. I'm not going to give to that pastor because I want that pastor to be controlled. I want that pastor to be dependent. I want to tell that pastor what to do. All of these things are religious spirits. Did you know that? Do you know that people vote all the time? There are some people that withhold their tithe. Because they don't like a certain aspect of a church. They don't think that maybe uh, a church is doing the right thing. They withhold their tithe. I'm just going to 
get to the point uh, eventually um, before, uh, once I'm done making the case about religion and how finances connect with religion, I'm going to make the case that grace and honor are the freedom of all of those bad attitudes. Having grace and having honor are the, are the, are the liberation, the liberation from all those bad attitudes. But here's another religious spirit. I better give because if I don't give, I won't be blessed. I better give because if I don't give, God will punish me. I read in Malachi in chapter 3 that it says that, that we need to bring all the tithe into the storehouse. And if we don't bring all the tithe into the storehouse, there's actually a curse upon us. And I don't want God to curse me. By the way, I just want to say this. God is not a God of cursing. God is a God of blessing. Curses are simply the absence of God's blessing. And if you're cursed in any way, it's not because God cursed you. It's because somehow you didn't listen to God, you didn't follow God, and you allowed yourself to be in a place of the absence of God's blessing. We're going to talk about the, this, the principle of sowing and reaping, and it's a very real principle. But I just want to say this. God doesn't bless you because you bless him. God doesn't love you because you love him. The scripture is very clear that God loved us even while we were yet sinners. That God loves us even when we don't choose him. God chooses us. God runs after us even when we're not running after God. The, the sun shines on both the just and the unjust, Jesus said. God blesses the sinner. Jesus loves the sinner. He loves people. Sometimes people say, you know, I look at those people and they're not, they're not tithing. And they're so extravagantly financially blessed. Do you know why they are? Because God is good. And somehow along the way, God blessed them with somebody who taught them some kind of principle about finances. God taught them about how to maneuver finances, to invest finances, things like that. That God is good. And we know that some people get um, uh, you know, wealth from ill-gotten gain, but they still have wealth and God hasn't punished them yet. God hasn't chastised them yet for that. God allows them to enjoy that. It's why? Because God is good. God loves us. He doesn't love us because we manipulate him. Oh, I'm going to pray enough so God will bless me. I'm going to give enough so God will bless me. Does God bless us when we give? Yes, but he also blesses us when we don't give. Can you say amen? Man, I don't know if that was a strong enough amen. Maybe I need to stick on that one a little bit. You know, there's another religious spirit that we sometimes come up with, and I'll come back to that and make sure that that's as clear as I hope it can possibly be. But there's another religious spirit where it says, I'm going to give to get. I'm going to give to get rich. I heard give, and it shall be given to you. With the measure you use, it shall be measured to you. But I just want to say this. Giving to God is not a get-rich-quick scheme or even get rich scheme. When you give to get, that's a religious spirit. We're going to read a passage of scripture that talks about true riches. Even next week, we're going to read another one that talks about true riches. Do you know there are times that I give and I'm not immediately financially blessed, 
but I recognize that because I gave, I've got freedom in my heart. I've got confidence in the Lord. I can ask him whatever he, whatever I want. All of those things. I know that I've done my part. I know that I've put it all before God. I know that I'm walking in obedience before him and I might not be financially blessed, but I have other kinds of riches, true riches, eternal riches. Jesus talks about riches that he gives to us, but not all of them are the riches of this world. And I know I might be upsetting some prosperity preachers and people who love prosperity preaching. I know that. But you know what? What happens in prosperity preaching is sometimes we make the point so strong we forget to make the point that we're not blessed. We're not, we don't give just to be blessed. We give so that we can be a blessing. Can you say amen? It's better to give than to receive. And whether I receive some type of material reward for my gift or not, I've been given a gift from God just in the gift that I've given. Can you say amen? Some people give to get to be seen. Jesus talked about religious spirit people who went and gave stuff to other people so that they could be noticed. Wow, look at what I'm doing. I'm helping a poor person. Does anyone see this? Look at me. I'm giving in the offering. I'm giving more. I'm counting out the money on my way up. One hundred, two hundred. I hope everyone sees. There are some people that actually give to get positions in the church. Did you know that? There are some people that give so that they can be made a pastor or an elder or a deacon or whatever. Can you imagine that kind of religious spirit where you're actually buying positions in the church because of all of that kind of money? All of this stuff is guilt. All this stuff is fear. All this stuff is greed. All this stuff is theft. And it's not what brings us into relationship with God and relationship with each other. So let's say be dead religion in the name of Jesus. Just go ahead and die religious spirit in the name of Jesus and do it by finances in a culture of grace and honor. So how do we get over the religious spirit through finances in particular? How can you kill this religious spirit? And it is the one, those two powerful words that we're talking about. It's through grace and honor. Through grace and honor. Wow, praise God. When I give something to the Lord, am I giving the Lord my stuff or his stuff? Oh God, you're going to be proud of me now. I'm giving you 10%. I have a friend he and his wife, for years, have lived off of 10% and given 90% of their income to the Lord. And they have one of the greatest testimonials of miracles that I've ever heard in my life. They started giving 10%. They moved eventually to 25%, then to 50%. And for decades, they've lived on 10%, giving 90% to the Lord. They're as blessed as anybody I've ever met in my life. It's an amazing thing to watch that. But you know what's interesting? Is that the way that they view it is not that God should be proud of them or impressed with them. But everything that they have came from God. And so everything that they give is God's. In Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, 
the world and all who live in it. In other words, you are not the owner. God is the owner. You and I are just simply trusted managers of God's stuff. Faithful stewards of what God, what belongs to God. And that changes everything because that puts us in a mindset of grace. Honor, we're going to talk about in a moment, but we have to get this idea of grace. The reality is, is that everything that I have, I have because of God's abundant grace. What is grace? It's God's love expressed to me, even though I do not deserve it. The way that we define grace at the beginning of this teaching was God's undeserved love and power to transform us. Do you know when you begin to think of money, not as something for you to control, but as God, as something that God owns, that you can hold lightly and trust God to give you when you need it and, and, and to help you to know what to give away or to invest or whatever, all of those things, when you have that kind of attitude, recognizing that everything that you have is from God, you will be living in this realm called grace. And in Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7, when Paul began to move away from the sin that he describes so powerfully in the first few chapters and the law that tells us that sin is wrong and brings death in our lives, when he began to talk about grace, he talked about it in a way that were terminology of control. He talked about the dominion of sin, the dominion of the law, and then through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, the dominion of grace, the kingdom of grace, the realm of grace. You see, when grace rules over your life, it changes everything, including your perspective on money. When you look at your money, you know it's all because of grace. When you look at your job, you know it's because of grace. When you look at your house, you know it's because of grace. When you look at your education, you know it's because of grace. When you look at your degrees, you know it's because of the grace. You, when every test that you pass or have passed in school, every level that you've gotten to, every promotion that you've gotten to, all of those things, you know it's grace, 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 grace. And when you live in that realm of grace, you know that you can't lose. You can't lose financially. It deals with those negative religious spirits of control, but also of fear, of guilt, all of those things, you know, it all belongs to God. And it frees you to enjoy the blessings of God and also to share the blessings of God. Can you say amen? That brother has the right idea right there, man. I've got a whole bunch of scriptures there for you. And and, and they're in your, in, your, in your notes there for you to look up. I'd love for you to do some Bible study this week on finances and what, how Jesus tells us the deal. Do you know he tells us not to be afraid? Do you, you know he just tells us don't be afraid to be generous? Don't be afraid to recognize the true value of money and how to use it the right way. All of those things are so trust in Put, put seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all of those things. Put him first, all of those things. Read those passages of scripture. You know, when you, when you get a hold of the grace of God, nothing really matters. You can't, you can't lose. I, you just can't lose. 
Years ago, my wife and I moved up to New Hampshire to start a ministry on university campuses, and we had no supporters when we started. We didn't know anybody. We had no supporters. We went across a college campus, and the Lord spoke to us clearly as we were just walking across the campus and said, I want you to come here. And we made a phone call and said, we felt led of the Lord to come to this campus. And they said, you know, you don't know the history, but two years ago, we did a tour of all of the northern New England campuses. And that was the campus that we chose that we were going to start ministry. And you didn't even know that. It was a total confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And, and we were there for seven years. And, and, and our support came in over time. And um, while, while raising support, I worked at a funeral home. I worked in the public school system. I served, sold uh, water purifiers, vacuum cleaners. My wife was a director of a crisis pregnancy center. We did all kinds of things and, and had like way too many kids during that time. And it was just awesome what God did. It was just an amazing thing. And, and, and we, we had some moments of stress where we kind of ran out of money in between seasonal jobs. And, and one time we just had a seasonal job and we didn't have enough money. And my wife and I sat down and said, what do we have? We, we don't have enough money. And we said, we have belongings. We used to live in Princeton, New Jersey. We were pretty well off. And, and now we're up here in the, in the sticks in the woods of New Hampshire. And we don't have as much money as we used to have. But we got some belongings. Let's start selling things. So I remember bringing out my golf clubs and my brand new golf shoes that were going away present to me. And I remember bringing out um, study books. And I remember uh, Carol bringing out stuff that were precious things for her, you know, that she used in the kitchen and, 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 and clothes and all that stuff stuff. Um, my wife's got some amazing clothes she always has. And um, if you don't believe it, just come see her collection of shoes and, and all of that stuff. But she's always been generous with that. And, and, uh, and, and so we just, we just did a big, huge yard sale. And people started coming in and buying all of our stuff. And, and I, I, I'm not going to tell you it was easy because, you know, when they, when they bought my golf shoes, I wanted to cry. And and, it, and, and, and then, then they kept talking me down in the price. And I'm like, I wanted to cry more. And then I, but I didn't want to cry for myself as much as I wanted to cry for my wife. And I thought, man, this poor woman, what she goes through in ministry and, you know, pioneering all the stuff that we do. And, and I'm not really taking care of her like I need to. And I felt so guilty about that. And I just wasn't living in the grace that I needed to be living in at that moment. And, and I, I was just overwhelmed by these things. And and yet then the more that our stuff sold, the more I just started to feel kind of positive and I didn't understand why. And I sheepishly, you know, tiptoed over to my wife and, and, I, and I asked her, how are you feeling? And then I ducked, you know, I didn't want her to swing and hit me. You know, she's never hit me before, but you never know. Right. That might be if she's ever going to hit me. Now's the time. Right. So so I'm like, how are you doing? And uh, she goes, you know what? I, I feel really positive. And I said, I didn't want to tell you, but I feel positive, too. And we started like getting in touch with this positive feeling. And we were like, you know what? Our possessions don't own us. We're free. We're, we can go wherever God tells us to go. We'll do whatever God tells us to do. We're not going to be held back by material possessions. We're going to do whatever God wants us to do. And we're going to trust him that he's going to provide for our, our, ourselves as a married couple and our kids. And we just, we're, it was like Peter walking on the water going, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe we're out here, you know, walking on water. This is like some miraculous stuff. And it was an amazing thing. And that was euphoric for a few weeks. Until a few weeks later, um, after our second child was born, and we ran out of food and literally had no meat in the house, no bread. All we had was mayonnaise. We didn't even have milk in the house. We had like mayonnaise, mustard, stuff like that. 
and I, and I got two little babies, and I, and I remember I, I forgot the grace lesson again. And, and I got on the floor, and I just started to cry. And by the way, God loves it when you forget him. God loves it when you forget him because he wants to run to you. You, you know what? So I just want to say this to you guys. Those of you guys who keep beating on yourself for your failure, God loves your failure. He loves when you mess up. He loves when you gripe and complain. He loves when you're miserable and you tell him that you're miserable. Now, if you stay that way, he's going to get sick of it and so is everybody else. Live in the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't become a permanent complainer and all that. But when you've messed up, it gives God an opportunity to show you that he loves you when you're at your worst. It gives God an opportunity to show you that he cares about you even when you don't care about yourself. He believes in you even when you don't even believe in yourself. That's what grace is. And I'm sitting there griping and complaining. I'm saying to God, God, you knew that we were called to this ministry. You knew that I had a wife. You knew that we had kids. And we don't have any money, God. I don't have any food. And I don't know, even know if you know where we are. And while I'm bitterly crying out to the Lord, there was a knock at our door. We lived in this horrible place where they, they didn't have the, 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 the walls didn't go all the way up to the ceiling and smoke from the, the neighbor from the apartment next to us would pour in. And we were like, God, you got to get us out of this dilapidated apartment building. And certainly you don't want us to be here. But you know what? Sometimes Paul says, I've known what it is to have plenty and I know what it is to have lack. And sometimes when you put people down because they don't seem to have the blessing of God, they've got more blessing than you do. Sometimes people put poor people down, poor preachers down. They say they must not have faith. I, I, I even, somebody in this church was so attacked by a religious spirit that when somebody was dying of cancer and the husband wanted to say goodbye, those so-called, well, they were Christian, but they were not wise in their Christian. They literally slapped that grieving husband in the faith in the face and told him to get out of the room because he didn't have faith. They had this wrong theology that if you have faith, you'll always be healed. If you have faith, you'll always be provided for. You'll always be rich. This is a truth that is not truth. This is a falsehood. This is not what God says. Jesus himself knew what poverty was, and yet he had the joy of the Lord. He knew what it was to give up everything and still know that he was living his life right before God. And you might think, well, you must not have been pleasing God if you ran out of food. I just want to let you know that God was there, and God wanted us to get that desperate. Because somebody knocked on our door and they said, we heard you preach last Sunday at our church. And we um, called somebody to ask where you live. Because today we were cleaning out our freezer. And we realized it's just the two of us that live in our house. Our kids are all grown and gone. And we kept looking through our freezer and realizing we have more food than we need for ourselves. And we started to pray and ask God, God, who can we share this food with? And as soon as we started to pray, the Lord put you on our heart. And we felt it was so much God that on the way over, we stopped at the grocery store and we bought you more food than what was in our freezer. And they said, if you don't mind, we have bags of groceries for you down in our food. We don't want to embarrass you. And I literally said this to him because I love to joke around. Even through my tears, I love to laugh. 
And I said, there's something worse than being embarrassed, and it's called being hungry. I don't have any problem at all getting that food. And I went downstairs, and tears are pouring down my cheeks. And I look, and he's got 10 bags of groceries. And we're carrying 10 bags of groceries, meat and cheese and bread and milk and frozen stuff. And I realized that God knew where we were, that he has grace for us in the most difficult circumstance when we feel like we haven't given. And then I tied it back to that time that we sold everything. And I realized that God didn't give us because we sold everything. God enabled us to sell everything because his grace is enough for us. And even if we sell everything, we know that he's got more yet. It wasn't because we manipulated God that God blessed us in that. He blessed us to not have, and then he blessed us to have. He blessed us by having little, and then blessed us by having an abundance. Do you know I never worry about finances in this church? When, when, when I first came here as pastor, we got, we got calls every day, four or five times a day from vendors that weren't, weren't being paid for stuff. The reputation of this church was suffering. It was horrible. And I lived with that pressure. And I, and I just, I, I didn't know what to do about it. And we've, we, we've had some financial crises because we have a 50-year-old building. We've had to replace our heating and air conditioning system. We've had a situation um, where we had a school that we started and we really needed to see it happen. And all those things. I've never worried about it. And I've watched people like Kay and Jess and Melissa and others who have worked in the office over the years. And all of them will tell you the same thing. Sometimes we don't know how we're going to afford this building, how we're going to afford to pay the bills, how we're going to do that. But God meets the need all the time, all the way. You know why? Because my faith is not in myself as pastor or the trustees of this church or even the givers of this church. My trust is in the goodness of God. God, the grace of God, and you might be used to give, I might be used to give, but it all comes from God because God owns it all. Can you say amen? Amen. I got enough time to finish. When you know grace like this, what's your response? When you know grace, why the death of finances? Why, by, why the death of religion? Why by finances? Why grace? When you know grace, the second one is honor. When you, when you know the grace of God, you just can't help but respond, respond in appreciation. You know, I don't give to God because God needs me to give to him. In fact, I don't even give to poor people because they need it. Doesn't that sound weird? I give to poor people because I want them to know that they're honored, that God loves them. We don't give to church because the church needs it. We give to church because we honor the role of the church. We don't give to leaders because leaders need. We give to leaders because we honor the role of leaders. We don't give to government because government needs it. We give to government because we honor the role that government plays. Now, you might have been with me until the last one. And you might go, I'm sorry, but I'm a, I'm a tea party person. I'd like to take all my taxes and dump them into the ocean. I'm sick of paying taxes. I think, I think taxes are too much and all of that stuff and they don't use it right and all that. Do you know, do you know that in, in Romans chapter 13 it says, obey the king 
and pay taxes. And do you know who the king was? It was the emperor of Rome. Do you know what the greatest threat to Christianity was? It was Rome. Rome was the greatest threat to Christianity. But God used Rome, which is the greatest threat to Christianity, to spread Christianity in the first 300 years before the state and religion came together in, in relationship, Christianity was, was pure as pure could be. And it grew in a way like it had never grown before. I, it, it was, it was, it's the greatest church growth until the last century in 2,000 years. And where's Christianity growing now? It's not growing through the support of the state. It's growing even in the midst of persecution. Even when people are depriving the economic well-being to the church. All of those things. And, and, and the reality is, is that that's what happened. You know what? You know what happened with Rome? They, had, they called it the Pax Romana. The Roman peace. God used the Roman peace for the Christians to spread all over the world. There was a peaceful place for them to travel. Also the Roman roads. The roads had ne never been made like this that, 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 that brought people all over the world. And, and Christian evangelists, women and men who were not all named Paul, just normal people, they spread across those roads and they brought um, Christianity to the whole world. And then a thing called the lingua franca, the, the common language, that, that Latin, that Greek that was spoken uh, by, by so many was used by God. So the greatest threat to Christianity was Rome, but God used Rome to spread Christianity. If you don't give taxes to your government for no other reason, then you've got a road that is paved that you can get from where you are to where you need to go. That you've got water that's treated somehow, some way, so that you don't get some kind of disease. Then you need to go ahead and honor that 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 that, that government with your with your tax with your with your finances. The reality is, is that the scriptures, the word of God, has the authoritative teaching on money. And the authoritative teaching on every other aspect of life. And it tells us how to treat servant leaders among us. How to treat the church. How to treat um, uh, even the government. All of these things. The poor. How we're to give to them. All of these things. And it's this beautiful thing of honor. It's recognizing that God has given us life. And it's to be honored. That God has given us love and to be honored. We give to God to honor God. Proverbs 3, verse 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Can you say amen? Come on, how about some wine in the house of God? Amen. How about some, uh, some filled vats in the house of God? Amen. And, and so honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So we give to God to honor God, to honor God's teachings, to honor God's commands, to honor God's instructions, knowing that the Bible is the authority on money and everything else. But we also give to the poor for this reason. In Proverbs 14.31 it says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Why do we give to those who are in need? Because we honor them. Do you know that when people feel like they need a handout, they never feel more dishonored. They never feel more put down by society. If you want somebody to be lifted up, just go ahead and give them something. 
and say, I'm doing this not because that you have a need. If you have a need, that's great. I'm doing this because God loves you and he cares about you. And, and I just want you to know that God has such honor and respect for who he made you to be. That's the way we give to the church, church leaders. First Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And I read the passage in Romans 13 about giving to the government and all of that. So we might ask the question, how much should I make? And the answer is, make whatever grace says that you can make. Do you know that God's plan might be for you to be extravagantly wealthy? And if you don't believe that God's grace is enough for you to be extravagantly wealthy, you're, you're denying the grace of God. Do you know that the Bible has instructions for the rich? It says, command those who are rich among you to be generous in good deeds. It's not evil to be rich. It's evil to love money. That's the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Loving money more than God. You see, that's what gets rid of the religious spirit. We're not out to love money. We're out to love God. We're not out for roles and religion. We're out for relationship. But we allow money to enhance that relationship that we have with God. We worship Him with our tithes. We worship Him with our offerings. We worship Him. We honor Him in giving Him first fruits and all of those things. So we, we, we make what money grace enables us to make. You might say, well, how much money should I give? Give what grace enables you to give. Can you say amen? How much should I save? Give what grace enables you to save. You know what? Sometimes you're not saving and investing because you're not honoring yourself. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's not wrong for you to love yourself. It's not wrong for you to have a rainy day fund. It's not wrong for you to have a 401k. It's not wrong for you to have an investment for a future. If you love those things and trust those things and depend on those things and have all your focus on those things, if you make that what life is all about, then you've missed grace and you've missed relationship but if grace says to you this is what I have for you then receive it and honor it honor God honor yourself by receiving what the Lord has for you can you say amen to all this I just pray right now in Jesus name that we would honor God father I pray for my sisters and brothers to be filled with your grace so that they would know that even if they don't have you still love them and that, God, you've got more for them, even materially. And so I pray that you would pour out your grace upon them, God, in Jesus' name. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would give us grace, Lord, for wealth. Give us grace for poverty. Give us grace for giving. Give us grace for income. Give us grace for uh, giving. Give us grace for investing, saving. Give us grace for all those things. And then help us, Lord, to honor the poor God with our wealth. Help us to honor you with our wealth. Help us to even honor ourselves, God, made in your image with our wealth, Father. God, if you've given to us uh, something, let us rejoice in it. God, if it's a material blessing, 
Let us rejoice in it, but not hold on to it like it's, like it's our source. Let us know that it's from you, God. It's all about your grace, Lord, and we praise you for it, God. Lord, we thank you, God, for speaking to us by your word, God, and we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that we would be filled financially with amazing grace and respond with amazing honor and then be free of a religious spirit in every way, not only in our lives, but in our families and in our church family in this place. God, free us, Lord. God, let us honor you by how we deal with our wealth as a church, by our integrity, God, by how um, we operate, God, with many hands and many eyes, Father, and many individuals, God, trustees and elders and, and um, individuals, God, and um, Lord, online and every, everything that we do, God, we just pray that we would honor, Lord, one another, God, by how we deal with our, our collective finances, Lord, as a church. Father, we love you, God, and we ask you, God, to fill us with your grace and fill us with your honor, Lord, in Jesus' name. Can we say amen? amen? I just want to invite you to stand if you would. And we're going to end with a scripture. We're going to read a passage of scripture together. And then we're going to have at the front, we're going to have um, our prayer team that is going to be here at the front. And they're going to pray for you, especially if you have a financial need. We want to pray for that while we're talking about that today. But if you've got any need when it comes to grace, relationship with God, something spiritual, something physical, whatever it is. And you say, before I leave, I want to pray with somebody that, that believes God, that hears from God, that, that prays for people in the love of God. Then we're going to be here and invite you to come and just be receiving prayer. And we're going to worship the Lord. But when I go ahead and say amen, consider yourself dismissed. If you have to leave, we understand it. But we really hope that you can stay because we have church family dinner. And we're an international church and we have food from all over the world and we'd love to share fellowship with you around these tables and if you could stay, we invite you to stay and just uh, spend some time this afternoon in fellowship with each other. This is one of the most powerful passages of scripture in all the Bible that deals with finances and the culture of grace and honor. And I want you to feel free to read along with me if you can read it on the screen. You can just go ahead and, and just look forward and, and read it there. If the, if, the, if the words are too small, then feel free to look it up on your phone or if you have a Bible with you. We're reading in the English Standard Version and we're going to read this together and I encourage you to look at these scriptures during the week and allow God to speak to you because God has way more and way more powerful things to say to you than I do. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. God spoke through the Apostle Paul to Gentile and Jewish believers in Asia Minor, in the Greek world, about sending a gift to the Jerusalem church because of the famine that was predicted by prophecy that they were now about to experience and making sure that they had financial support during that difficult time. And it, and it says, and you can read this out loud along with me if you'd like. Verse 1, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia had been ready since last year, 
and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we will be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Paul, this great theologian of God, is so practical in the way that he talked with people about money. No religious spirit, just a wide open conversation about finances, so real. Let's read verses 6 through verse 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. I love how Paul waxed so poetic and eloquent in this passage of Scripture, talking about finances, speaking about God bringing generosity into our lives and making us so full and so bountiful, and all by His grace, not by coercion, not by compulsion, or by reluctance, but cheerfully giving to the Lord what God has given to us. I want us to read these verses again, verse 6 through 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, and not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And then the last part, verse 10 through 15. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this, of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift and his indescribable gift is named Jesus. God bless you.
God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.